and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive... Nope. <sighs> Let's start that again. Hello and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wildbo's most ritualistic work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. I'm Elliot Diebold. You know, Ruben, to- th- th- that whole thing's just proof that patterns become reality. <laughs> it's classic packed stuff. Um... <laughs> We're back to talk about Stolen Away 2.4, 2.5, and an email leak, a real Panama Papers situation. Uh, that is the bonus content for this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a cool cool pair of chapters. I'm excited to get into them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's begin by talking about 2.4, which is a Lucy perspective chapter, and it starts with Lucy waking up to laughter coming in from downstairs. Yep. Her aunt is here to visit and is chit-chatting with her mother, mostly about her or just about uh, the the frustrations of their life in general, I guess. Yeah, and obviously Lucy's a big part of her life, so she just comes up. Yeah. Um, I love how the... I don't want to use the term eavesdropping for what Lucy's doing because it, it doesn't quite mm. feel like uh, eavesdropping for me comes with all this negative comfort, uh, uh, connotations of, you know, oh, she's like trying to sneakily hear where it's just like Lucy's just kind of there and, they, and they're just talking loudly. Yeah, they're just loudly <laughs> talking. Yeah. Um, um, and talking about sensitive topics that um, Jasmine, Lucy's mother, doesn't want Lucy to overhear often, which is a bit crazy because they're like seem to be talking at a volume that is audible to everybody in the house. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but it just made me think of like you know you often see that whole sort of thing like when when there's advice being offered for parents of kids going through a divorce or whatever mm. you know it's like oh kids are so much more aware of what's going on than you give them credit for like blah blah, blah. And, and lucy is kind of that to a t um mm. it, it's almost a bit of a recurring thing in this chapter like it obviously comes into it a lot at the end but she's picking up a lot more than everyone is kind of trying to put on her Mm. um and it's just like it's this whole thing like i think lucy's someone who and we've already sort of talked about she she doesn't she doesn't want people to have to worry about her like she she's sort of trying to be this hero for everyone else but she doesn't want to burden others and like her and her mum are both kind of doing this for each other and it's almost kind of painful to watch them both hurting themselves to protect the other one Mm. Mm. yeah yeah, definitely. Um, it's a, I don't know, it's it's a draining conversation that we overhear, right? And that's what this first part of this chapter, and I guess the entire chapter, kind of <laughs> upholds is just this, like, it, it comes to me as, like, exhausted, right? Yeah. Like, Lucy just feels exhausted. And we see a lot of beats of this throughout the chapter that is just, her life is just draining, um yeah just draining her energy yeah i mean this morning routine segment at the start in particular just fucking sucks like Mm. she's woken up early but like not in the good way like she just feels like shit but she's kind of got to get up because her hair is being a nightmare in the weather um and then there's all the really interesting stuff about how she the way she dresses and like does her makeup and her hair Mm. is all about like it's so not even defensive or yeah maybe defensive or it's kind of even like you know offensive in the sense that like you know she's trying to be like hitting people with it not not yeah. as in like she's trying to like you know offend people um mm. but like it's all just there's just such a grind to her day it's such a it's such mm. a contrast to like verona who's just kind of given up on that aspect of life in a lot of ways like mm. she was just you know kind of cleaning the house just to get something out of her dad whereas like lucy has kind of accepted that this is 
this is the way she makes it easier is like she kind of has to struggle through this stuff herself to get other people to fuck off and it's just it's so rough yeah um i guess this chapter is basically is kind of i mean the vibe i got from this chapter is that it's really a great explanation of all the institutionalized racism and systematic racism that lucy is kind of suffering at the hands of and how draining of an experience that is and it's it's exhausting right like this story i mean we've been in lucy's head for a week and already the the anger and and upset that she feels with the people around her that are letting her down is so justified yeah and thinking of the fact that she lives this life constantly and is constantly like disadvantaged yes but also just like put so has so much put upon her through no fault of her own yeah it really is shit it's it's those little things i think that's what this chapter in particular really starts to capture is it's the little things which when you highlight them in isolation it's not like a thing but it's the fact that you're getting hit with that all the time like the example i'd go to is there's the bit when when she's at dinner at avery's and kerry just sort of goes to like touch her hair touch her hair and and it's just one of those things like on the one hand you kind of can't be mad at like what what kerry's like four or or something yeah uh, for for like being interested in hair that like is just sort of different but at the same time like just having to put up a little shit like that all the time would drive you up the wall so like yeah i I think this chapter does such a good job of starting to really hammer home how much more difficult lucy's life is because of this shit yeah and it's kind of small things where like there's no right answer to it yeah like there's no solution to it right like the thing with Carrie, what Lucy does is, I think, a pretty great solution where she basically just does the same thing back to her and <laughs> yeah. demonstrates to Carrie pretty effectively, hey, like, that's not, like, look how this feels. <laughs> yeah. right? That's an effective solution. But a lot of the things are things like, you know, Mr. Bader being shitty to her, hmm. um, but in a way that is insidious enough that I don't think Lucy can effectively do anything about it, right? Yeah. Um, or circumstances like Paul, where it's all things where it's like, she doesn't even, she she doesn't have an explanation for any of it. It's things that she can't challenge because they're, they're weaselly enough and insidious enough that they can't really be dealt with. Or if they are, that's just kind of fighting one battle when there's many out there. And so it's this thing of like so many bits and pieces that you just cannot, you just can't fight them all. And it's so frustrating <laughs> yeah it, it really is and i mean we even see avery get caught up in it a bit uh, i'm jumping ahead in 2.5 like yes. we'll get there but like as well i can't help but like think that it's very intentional that this is so strongly highlighted here after we just dealt with the fairy who i think are maybe our like magical examples of that because like they didn't mm. break any rules in in all the stuff they did but it was so clearly designed to cause the Kenneteers like indirect like mental pain like the fairies are having fun with them in this way that doesn't quite break the rules so they can't call them out on it yeah but they're still just being the absolute fucking worst and and you know like again I'm, I'm gonna keep tying stuff back to this idea of justice and consequences and, and you know this is something we're, we're tackling like when you have these these institutions these systems and and people can just skirt within the lines so that it's like oh you can't get me in trouble for that like it wasn't technically wrong and i think Mm. the fairy and and then all this stuff targeting lucy like are both great sort of examples of that Mm. yeah definitely um 
So that's the kind of overarching themes that we see throughout this chapter. <laughs> uh, to, to bring in some lighter things, we get more uh, discussion of Booker, who seems very cool, and I hope that we get to meet him in the story one day. Yeah, because he's definitely, like, you can tell Lucy and Jasmine just both think he's the fucking best. He's the bee's knees, yeah. A- totally. And, you know, I trust both of their judgments, so I have just kind of assumed he is. Um like he he and well, I mean everyone in Lucy's family actually just seems like they kick ass, um, mm. yeah. I, I know it's gonna be interesting. Like I think people can change when they move out for uni and come back after a year or a semester or whatever. And yeah, he's bringing his his girlfriend, so there's the potential for drama, especially if mm. one of them's a practitioner, which of course is always going to be a theory that gets or both. Yeah. yeah, floating around. I don't like. I, I'm cautiously optimistic the book is just going to come back and be like this this rock for Lucy to lean on because. Mm. Um, I mean, Verona and Avery say they're going to step up, but I still think Lucy could could use more support. Oh, yes, of course. I think all three of these girls could use more support that isn't just yeah. another 13-year-old girl. Um, yeah, speaking of uh, secret practitioners, we also meet Aunt Heather, who is great. <laughs> and she's <laughs> she's like, I, I love that she's been introduced because speaking about, you know, stronger support for, for these girls, she's like perfectly positioned as... She's not, like, serious enough to be intimidating or, like, an adult that you'd be super worried about confiding in. Like, she, she's cool enough to be the cool aunt, yeah. but also, like, mature enough and emotionally mature enough to seem trustworthy and, like, someone you can depend on. But yeah. It's perfectly positioned for Lucy to, you know, reach out for help. Yeah, exactly. Like, she is. She's perfect. She's the cool aunt, but she's not the, like... Well, she's a bit of a train wreck, but not like too bad of one, you know. Like she, yeah, she's still someone you can lean on, and I, and I mean that's that whole thing. Like Lucy brings up, Aunt Heather is the only member of her dad's family that actually still kind of is regularly in touch with them and helping them out. Like mm. even um her her grandparents, you know, they're they're cool, but they're just sort of too far away and they've got enough of their own shit that they're not really helping as much as maybe you know Lucy and and Jasmine need. Um. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just every time we meet members of Lucy's family, I'm just like, God, it, it's so tragic that Lucy and Jasmine have ended up struggling like this because it just seems like every one of, every member of their family is just the coolest person. And it's like, how has mm. this, how has this happened? Yeah, it it's, yeah, it's just shitty, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, we we found out uh, last chapter that the, these three were chosen because they have, in some ways, shitty lives. So um, I guess if yeah. Lucy's life wasn't at least a little bit shitty, she wouldn't have been one of the protagonists of this story. Yeah, it's just a shame because you can see, like, it's just a series of unfortunate events that's led Lucy to to be in that position because she's so close to having a fantastic network to be able to lean on in her family. Yeah. And it, it's sort of just a series of events have conspired to mean that just qu- isn't quite happening. Um, mm. But yeah. I don't know. I well, yeah. I'm 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 hoping we get to see a bit more of Heather before she leaves. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure you're thinking because she's. I, I hope one day there's a there's a time where a character can get introduced to this story and we don't immediately assume they're secretly a practitioner. I don't think um, so. No, I, I'm not optimistic that that will happen. But um, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I guess like we're about to sort of move into the next chunk of this chapter, and I just like. It's so interesting because I usually see a lot of the Wabo chapters as kind of chopped in half. Like there's often mm. a sort of lead up and, and a follow through to, to them. This is obviously a very long chapter and you can kind of see there's like three segments. Like we have this morning that's just, you know, the grind, the the negativity, yeah. the oppression that we've sort of talked about. And then 
it, it gets you just as angry as Lucy is. Yeah, and, and that pressure kind of gets released a bit, or at least it did for me when she just goes off at Verona and Avery, which we're about to yeah. get to. And I was just like, "Fuck, that's great!" And then that kind of put me off guard because I was like, "Oh, cool, you know, Avery, Lucy's gonna get her support. She got all her anger yeah. out. It's fine." And then and we get Avery hit with the Paul kind of stuff. Being good about it, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, "Oh God." Um, so I just I, like I I really love that you know this chapter's so long, but it has it is still doing so much. Like it's still so dense. Yeah. There's a, a lot to discuss. Um, so I guess the next thing that happens is Lucy calls Reagan, or as we better know her, Wink, um, telling her about this potential challenge approach they learned about last chapter that might be a useful last resort against the Hungry Choir. Yeah, and and sort of, again, in contrast to this massive grind of a morning that, that this part of the chapter is really drilling into us, this is actually like a, a nice exchange. Like, you know, yeah. they're kind of trading friendly barbs, um <laughs> it's like you know i keep talking i feel like lucy is a bit of a natural hero and just a good person and she's constantly being weighed down by the fact that other people are shit and no one's supporting her and this is like one of those chances she gets to actually just be like her natural kind of good heroic self yeah yeah i agree um it's nice to have moments where lucy is able to feel empowered in this chapter without uh, some of the other crazy stuff that happens yeah yeah well i mean it's it's like two lines after she hangs up on reagan that the, the waifs show up yeah yeah um yeah i want to talk about this section actually because during this conversation between lucy and reagan it feels like Walbo is sh- showing off a bit where you know everyone read 1.x read gabe's interlude and was like oh this is horrifying this is the worst thing i've ever read etc etc and in the, through lucy Walbo here is just going well, I could make it more horrifying. You guys will just wait and see what I can do, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, Wabo has spent years uh, honing his ability to, to do this sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And so it's not surprising that he's so much better that, than us at it. It's just, it's so funny that it's like, it's also these 13-year-old girls in the story who are doing better than, than like, you know, us at figuring some of this stuff out like i think that was most apparent to me in the bonus bit at the end where like verona's mm. considering all these angles on everything and i was just like oh that's a good point i hadn't thought about that and it's like it's it's it gives me a bit of hope at like how good these three are it's seeing some of this stuff when they take that step back yeah um one of the things i'm well yeah i guess i'll call it out now because it's related uh, I, when we when we get to the bit where Lucy is talking to Avery and Verona, um, you know, last chapter we talked about how we basically talked about the exact things that Lucy talks about, where you know, uh, Marisica or, or Gilherm Gilherme could um, basically use the transformation into Kel as a way to fuck with Avery by fucking with Pam, right? That yeah, came up during our discussion. And it made me so happy that Lucy calls that out explicitly in this <laughs> chapter, as well as Verona calls out a bunch of traps in her emails or potential traps. And it's like, yeah, these people, these three are being like, they are able to think about problems when they put their mind to it, potential problems and potential traps that could exist, which is um, reaffirming. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's very reassuring. Yeah. Um, uh, also, can we talk about so like, these waifs show up after Lucy has this call with Reagan because the the hungry choir is a very moody uh, ritual. Yeah, and I like I love how Walbo's 
almost still manages to communicate through a creature that can't talk because like the the main waif that shows up or the, the one that's the center of the focus is like another black girl who's roughly lucy's age yeah. and like you know she she injures herself and is like reacting like pained and it's just like like the the hungry choir is so clearly you know communicating to lucy like don't bite the hand that feeds you mm. and it's doing that in such a powerful way without words like it's just horrifying and i was like i that was that was just a scene that was just etched into my mind like after reading it mm, yeah it's um it's gross you know yeah exactly like i i love it. it it's it's such a powerful way to communicate um and i mean yeah like there's actually some close calls here with the waves like lucy is reaching for the ring when they all disappear which is like i don't think she had the hot lead on her mm. so where was she planning on getting the power for the ring like i, I think yeah like the ring drains you if you don't have yeah. a power source for it right so um, we're lucky the hungry choir pissed off when it did or she could have been in real trouble she could have been in trouble yeah yeah um so the other thing that happens here is we're introduced to paul uh who obviously play an important role in this chapter but the first time I read this, and I think this is a fairly standard reaction, it is kind of confusing. Like, we found out that Lucy's father is dead, we and we kind of get that explicitly confirmed this chapter. And it's like, it's a situation where you kind of feel on the back foot trying to put together all the pieces for what father figures have been in Lucy's life. And Paul is introduced, and you're kind of confused by it, right? Yeah. Um, and I love that, because it, it mirrors this, like complete confusion that lucy talks about later in this chapter of like how how confused she's been about this situation and how she hasn't really had a solid answer to it and it it in the same way that um lucy's kind of minor frustrations and struggles help get up to get us in the vibe of understanding at least or empathizing to some level with the the, the frustrations of the systematic racism the systematic racism that she's facing this kind of gets us in the same headspace of being confused about Paul's role in her life and wh exactly what happened. It just kind of makes all these emotional beats land more because Wabo is making us as the audience feel the same things or a version of the same things that Lucy feels. Yeah, yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that, but I completely agree. Like, there's... All we really know about him at this chunk of the chapter is that, like... <laughs> he was with her mum at some point mm. and he's just sort of left and, and yeah. you don't know why and you're right that makes it all the more crushing for us when it's like lucy putting that together for us in the middle of you know her yeah i don't know speech melt yeah. meltdown none of these words feel right i don't know during the <laughs> it's a, the events of the <laughs> the end yes. of the chapter uh, it's especially like that because we get beats of heather like talking about paul and indicating that she at least still has some measures of respect towards him or some like, you know, positive thoughts towards him or at least had. And Jazz's reaction to that is so like shuts that down so completely in a way that just, again, makes it this, this obvious. Like, yeah. You're like, what did you just? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, we should say uh, Jasmine and Heather are so unsubtle about like, as soon as Lucy leaves the room for five seconds, they're back to talking in, uh, full volume about the things that they don't want her to hear and of course she hears about it. like not even subtle i mean to be fair jazz actually does sort of say that like the, the, heather starts it and jazz is like i i don't want lucy to know about this and she's gonna hear you and heather's like oh and it's it's like i like i think jazz is pretty tuned in it's it's probably heather who i don't mm. think has kids or anything so mm. 
she's maybe just not used to that sort of dynamic of, of having to watch what she's saying like that. Yeah, fair enough. But, like, I, I mean, just, again, there's such a healthy relationship between Lucy and Jasmine for mm. the most part. Like, it's just that mm. one thing where they just... They, they, they're both trying to avoid putting their problems on the other. With Jasmine's, I think that's maybe a little bit more explainable because she is the mum. Mm. But it's like it's so tough to watch them like all the stuff that comes out with like when lucy comes down and she's like oh you know i made the phone call or whatever like they just both talk to each other as adults and yeah, everything is so nice and it's just like it's so close to being perfect it, it's so painful yeah. yeah um yeah i know this paul stuff is a bit of a black box but i i don't know like you know that was they were together for five years lucy's 13 now that was what a year ago two years ago maybe yeah um, something like that so she would have been six to 11 while paul was around and that's young enough that i don't know how you would even have that conversation right well yeah i mean that, that's the thing like this paul stuff is such a great example of, of, of like lucy and jasmine's like problem because yeah like i don't yeah, how is Jazz meant to explain that to Lucy? Like, I don't, mm. I don't know that you could. But then at the same time, not telling her is its own problem because now Lucy's just been stewing on this for years. Mm. So, like, it's a bit of an impossible situation that Jazz was in. And I mean, it's kind of the same with with Lucy now with the practice, right? Like, she she's having to close off from her mum on a about a bunch of things because she she can't tell her about the practice and there's no way that's not going to sort of start to create a bit more of a fissure in their relationship yeah, I, like yeah i i have to imagine that's going to start to happen um yes for sure and, and you can look at something like class ranker as an example of how like lucy basically says to aunt heather in this car trip she's like people need to be communicating more and be honest and mm. heather's just like yeah well you know i kind of know about class ranker and Lucy gets pissed that that is now like on her mum as well. She's like, "Oh no, my my mum knows." Mm. But the result of Heather knowing about this from Lucy's mum is Heather's like, "I'm gonna like think on this and we can try and like talk it out tonight." And like, I'm gonna be here to support you. And it's like this yeah. is exactly what Lucy was just saying. Like, more people need to be talking to each other like this so they can support each other. And well, yeah, it even gets to the point where Lucy considers and dismisses it rather quickly, but does consider filling in heather about the practitioner world and like yeah. that's such a big step that the fact that lucy gets close to reaching out for help on that which is something that is kind of set up as hey you can't tell anybody mm. is it's big and it shows that communication and and this kind of stuff really does like make this stuff better right yeah I, yeah exactly i mean this is a mystery story and we're kind of exploring how secrets don't always help things um it, like it, it seems kind of obvious through that lens but um yeah yeah you're right like the 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 whole sort of thing i see between jasmine heather and lucy in in this whole segment is kind of the more open you are with each other like in general the better things will be long term Mm. yeah yeah exactly right and i think that is kind of validated by lucy getting upset at the other two and then them taking concrete actions to improve that yes yeah well yeah let's let's get there yeah um, so, uh, yes, we get to the part where Lucy finds out, they reunite the trio and Lucy finds out what Avery has done and is rightfully, uh, freaked out by that and, and upset at, at Avery and Rona for letting it happen, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, obviously, you know, we talked about like the start of this chapter is, is so like, you know, oppressive. The ending is kind of a real m- 
you know, mixed bag of emotions. It's, it's very tragic overall, I think. Mm. This middle bit, though, like, let's just put this on repeat because this is cathartic as fuck. Like, it just good, watching it? Lucy go off at these two, I was just like, yes. Yeah. It's great because I think every other chapter we've we've said something along the lines of, like, okay, this is the thing that will finally make it sink in how over their heads these three are, right? Yeah. And it just hasn't sunk in. Like, the stuff with John, the Hungry Quiet, the fairy stuff, it just hasn't been sinking in. But Lucy has been taking that message, obviously, as what we see here, and finally drills it into the others' heads. Like, no, this isn't fun and games. This is something that we have to be careful with, and that can't just be me. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think last week we were giving the three of them a lot of crap for not taking the fairy stuff quite as seriously as they should. And maybe that wasn't fair because we should have been focusing just on Verona and Avery, maybe. Yes, um, because Lucy, Lucy seems to Lucy seems to be kind of on top of it. Um, Thank God. Yeah, it, it's like... It, it, it's. I, I don't think it's a coincidence, though, that it's like the thing that finally got the other two to take it more seriously and have a bit of their wake-up call is like one of the other two like you know again mm. we're talking about how like you know that these three are just sort of starting to hold each other up and and, and connect yeah. and, and be there for each other yeah and it, it's it's kind of nice to sort of you know when lucy has this breakdown to see the other two start to step up yeah yeah definitely um let's talk about avery's reaction to this first sure. i think it's good avery's oh, it's a, a great a model perfect reaction she listens she hears how she's fucked up she does a little bit of like weaseling at the start but then eventually kind of owns up to it and tries to do better and then does try to do and like actively tries to do better so good job avery you're top i love you yeah i mean avery just remains like kind of hopelessly wholesome like she Mm. already knew that what she'd done wasn't great and i think yeah it's like she's sort of trying to be like no 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 it was okay because by lucy's just sort of defeats all those arguments and Avery's like okay no you're right and like she she comes at it with this attitude of like I'm gonna I'm going to do better from here Mm -hmm. um I uh I think it's a mixed success by the end of next chapter in that regard yep um but but we can get there but the point is she's trying and that means something to me at least yeah definitely um now Verona's reaction Verona's reaction is she kind of shuts down a bit and says she needs time to think and respond, which is fine, I guess. But it, it does feel a bit hollow in the moment. Um, there's this part that I really liked where Lucy makes her confirm that she's not going to go to the Fae to make herself different to, to solve this problem, which is like the exact kind of crazy thing Verona would do to solve problems. And it feels like Verona is the kind of person that will look for, I think this is validated in the next chapter, will kind of look for a clean solution to this where it isn't really something that has a clean solution. It's just, you know, genuinely try to be better over time. Yeah, I think Verona probably has a bit of a tendency to try and take the the path of least resistance or the easy way Mm. out where she can. Mm. And she's kind of saying, no, don't do that because, you know, there's there's a a different sort of price to those paths usually. Yeah, yeah, I I mean, I I am cautiously optimistic about how Verona ends things here um, based on what Mm. goes on next chapter. Um, but it was hard not to see like parallels with her dad in the way she just kind of shuts down. Yep. Um, like she, I, I guess she doesn't quite know how to communicate or process this stuff live. So she regresses into this pattern that her dad kind of has. And I mean, it, it, like Lucy just seems to have such good instincts for when to press and when not to. And Avery does a lot for that next chapter too, I think. And again, mm-hmm. like I just, 
you know, we, we started to talk about how these three were picked because they were already starting to become a bit other. Mm. And I'm starting to get the sense, particularly from these two chapters, that it's actually these three who are saving each other from that in a lot of ways. Like yeah, I'm, definitely. I'm, I'm starting to get optimistic too. that it's like they, they're going to actually be mostly fine, you know, as, yeah. as, as fine as a wild bow protagonist can be. Yeah. Um, because they're going to keep each other above water. Like we're, we're talking so much about support networks in this chapter in particular. And Lucy basically goes to these two and has a meltdown and says, I, I need a support network. And both of them actually step up and are trying to do that. Yeah. And that's that's what this chapter is saying. Like just people just need to kind of open up and, and ask for help and, you know, hopefully they'll get it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, <laughs> hopefully. I mean, <laughs> we, we see it in this next chapter, but it's hard to know whether it's um, wh- how long it's going to stick, I guess. It feels good, though. It feels good next chapter. It feels positive. Yeah. Y- yes. I'm cautious optimism would be my term yeah. for how I feel at the end of end of next chapter. Yeah, definitely. Um, so next, uh, Lucy goes over to Avery's house and gets a bit of a taste of how Avery lives, mostly by duking it out with Sheridan. <laughs> yeah, I love how there's, there's sort of this immediate tone shift as we go into like the third chunk of this chapter. Um, yeah. Like things, there, there were all three of them together before, and it felt, you know, so resolved and balanced. And as I, mm. I love, now we're back to having two of them. I, I'm starting to get my tinfoil on because it, things get immediately tense and, and bad again now that it's two of them and mm. you know it was two of them with the avery thing and and things got resolved when they all come back together is this am i going crazy or, or do you reckon well, this is maybe no, that a thing? does happen again next chapter when it's just avery and verona together as two of them but then when three of them are together but i don't know i i don't maybe I, saying, may, I think maybe there's an imbalance when it's just two of them around mm. and, and that that can be what leads to things going so terribly when it's just two of them I don't know. I wouldn't call this going terribly. I think it's good that Sheridan finally oh, has somebody I'm, I'm who I'm not so much talking about this dinner, but what happens when they go shopping. Right. Yes. Well, yeah. Again, I wouldn't criticise too much of how Lucy acts then. Like, yes, there's some shitty parts to it, but I don't know. It feels justified. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about that when we get there then, because I, yeah. I don't know if I agree as wholeheartedly. Sure. Um, for this part, at least... I'm glad that Sheridan has someone to stand up to her um, and get smacked down. It's great. Uh, yeah, I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I was even a little bit more torn on this one because, like, I don't know, Lucy just sort of comes in and, and brings a shitty attitude and it's like, okay, well, she's kind of, she's giving it, she's giving back what she's getting, I think. like Yeah, she's explicitly mirroring Sheridan, right? Yeah. And she even says this to Sheridan, like, no, I'm just mirroring you. Um, yeah, so it reminds kind of me like, of, yeah, I can't remember when enough. we talked about this. I, I can't remember if it was in Deep Impact or Media MD, but there was that idea, like, uh, like I, I was, I went to a Catholic school when I was young and they always used to do that thing of treat others as you wish to be treated. Mm. and when i was like five years old for whatever reason my wires got crossed and what i started doing was using that reactively and so Mm. how people treated me is how i would treat them Mm. and like you can kind of see lucy doing that like when somebody is is a shit to her she would just immediately sort of go well that is how you have decided to be treated and i'm just gonna like shit on you right back um yeah i mean yeah i'm kind of okay with it like (laughs) i think it's it like it's the the same thing as when she does the hair touch to carrie right it's a great way of just being like, yeah. hey, this is how you are acting. 
Like I'm just doing what you're doing and that's a lens for you to reflect on how you're acting. And I think it's great. If it works like that, like the Carrie one, I think that's great and it works like that. With the Sheridan one, I can't just help but feel that it, it is escalating it. Yeah. things and making it work. Like she kind of just, as she she straight up says, oh, I'm being a bad influence on Avery. And <laughs> and it is kind of like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of like, yeah, suck, suck eggs, yeah. Sheridan, when she got the yeah. ice poured down her, her shirt. But at the same time, it's like this, like long term, this is just going to get Avery in trouble. Like I, well, I, I don't know. Uh, the, the counter to that is we the the very next interaction we see between Avery and Sheridan yeah, is it's, the most it's positive the best one they've ever had. Yeah. So there's an argument to be made that this actually does work, <laughs> right? Yeah, especially because Sher- one of Sheridan's things is just she's trying to get Avery to stand up for herself more, which yeah, you know, throwing throwing ice water at you counts, I reckon. I think um, it counts. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't like sort of mixed feelings about how aggressive Lucy comes into this this conf- not confrontation. Well, yeah, it is. Anything with the Sheridan's a bit of a confrontation. <laughs> it's maybe. a confrontation, yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> but I, I also love and, and we see this a lot more next chapter as well. There's each Kenneteer has such a different home life and mm. I, I, something we're really starting to explore now is getting them to see each other's or it's mostly like Mm. avery's because obviously verona and lucy were fairly familiar with each other's situations already but like having them all experience these different families through each other's eyes now is even more fun than seeing it from their own like Mm. avery's family is just even more overwhelming to to lucy like there's just just so much going on like you, you can't help but understand why she's just had to kind of I mean, I think she says it just raises her heartbeat being there. Like it's just, it's just stressful. Yeah, um, yeah. It they all just have. Yeah, I mean, Lucy's less so. Lucy's is problematic for other reasons, I think. But Avery and Verona, it their home life is just a drain. We kind of talked about this for Verona as being one of the things that's pushing her into practicing more deeply. And for Avery, it doesn't necessarily seem to be pushing her into practicing as much as it is pushing her into her friendship with Lucy and Verona, which I think is good um yeah what well, kind of pushes her into obscurity a bit which is how she ended up where she was last year yes but also the the reaction that she has to that is reaching out to verona and lucy which i think is a right. much healthier thing than just kind of fading yeah now, right yeah whereas like lucy lucy's life is is just one that like i think on the surface seems pretty awesome and so even when you really start to pick at it you start to see this yeah this problem Lucy and her mum are in of both trying to support the other uh, and and not getting enough support themselves. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a common thread for all of our Kennedys is just not having enough of a support network, especially not one outside of uh, the rest of the Kennedys. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so next up, uh, Lucy and Avery run off to the store to pick up some treats for the family, and this is where they bump into Paul and Lucy, as she puts it, cuts loose. <laughs> uh yeah i mean this is <clears throat> this, this is the the big part of the chapter i mean i don't even think i have words to sort of describe this section like just go read it again if you've forgotten how insane like it is it's just mm. it's so emotional mm. yeah it's uh heartbreaking um and it it is this opportunity for lucy to confront this figure that is basically the representation of all the unsaid racism in her life right like she sees paul as a kind of representation of all the times when i've never quite been able to put my finger on is it racism or is there a reason that people just won't tell me you know you are the one representation of that that's bigger than any others and he can't give her an explanation basically all he does is confirm yes it's 
you know, I left your family because you're black. Basically, he's, he doesn't deny, he, he yeah. as good as confirms it, right? Yeah, by not denying it, I, I saw it as a confirmation, absolutely. Yeah. And it's so, it's such a, it's not even a closure for Lucy, right? It just is this kind of impotent frustration where there's nothing that she can do. It's just an acceptance of, yes, uh, I and other people are going to treat you shitty in ways you can't really confront because of something you have no control over. And it's just shit. And this scene is heartbreaking for it. Like Lucy confronting that idea. Yeah, exactly. Like, like as you sort of said, she's using what is the biggest example of this in her life to kind of focus all of like, you know, her, her very justified frustration and anger about it I- into this sort of one confrontation. Mm. Um, and then obviously, you know, sort of it amounts to laying a curse on him to you know i guess make him more of a coward but also like introduce uh, a whole thing with his mum, which was the mm. bit that i was kind of like i like, i think that's the bit that really I, I think is making it clear that this is not something that is meant to be mm. celebrated sure yeah I, and i mean you yes, know the, the extra the extra evidence for that is like then it's the goblins who show up and i'm like <laughs> yeah that was awesome and it's like okay i think yeah misdescribe the goblins as like manifestations of all gross impulses or something yes i think um the specific curse that she lays on paul is uh pretty gross right um yeah i i i'm i don't know i'm a bit torn on it because of one the fact that she explicitly kind of sets it up as hey if you don't start acting better this is what i lay at your feet you know and so Mm. kind of does give him a bit of an out of just if you're a better person then this curse won't affect you more or less um yeah which well, is okay. not doesn't make it okay but at least kind of makes it uh karmically something that is put on his uh, his head by himself rather than as much on her yeah but like, like you know if, if we're talking like about justice and, and consequences in yes. this story like it, like that's this thing, is like, punitive I... justice not rehabilitative justice exactly at the very least like, like, my whole thing is I sort of looked at this and I was like, can she not curse Paul to just be better? Or like, mm. is that, like, if, if she could I mean, change yeah, things so that he's in love head. with his mum, like, yeah. like can't, why can't she just make him braver? Not necessarily to get him back. I mean, that's a whole separate thing and that's, like, her call, like, whatever. Like, I'm not saying that she needs to curse him to be better so he can get back with Jasmine, but, like, there's a sort mm. of sense of, yeah, like, is it not possible to just make him better like wouldn't that be hopefully a better way of of fixing things i think on paper yes but like i don't think it's i don't think it's um lucy's i i don't put the responsibility onto lucy for that right like she is a 13 year old girl who has this outlet for um for actually finally being able to have some influence over this thing that has just been this black box of toxicity in her life right um, yeah and she you know in a perfect world would she use that to instead make things better by solving racism one dickhead at a time sure but like that's not on her right and i'm, I'm uh, I yeah get that's that true it does kind of make a situation a little bit messier but i don't know like it it improves her mental health I, I, i'm okay with it yeah i i i'm okay with the the maybe the cowardice part i think sure yeah the, that's fair the, 
the make, giving him the Oedipal complex the bit Oedipal is sort of the bit that just it a bit slimy. It doesn't muddies it. But like, yeah, I think as you said, I think this is just kind of another one. It's like it's like the whole situation Jazz was in with telling Lucy about this. Like, it, there there probably isn't just a like correct or or best solution. Like mm. everything has pros and, and cons and uh, like various levels of impossibility. Um, mm. It's like it's just yeah uh, yeah I don't know like I I. On the one hand, it's kind of like, yeah, suck shit, Paul. But on the other hand, I'm like, is this, is this too far? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is too far. I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm switching back and forth. I am like, I'm flip-flopping on different parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it is just, at the very least we can agree. It's a big complex mess. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and, it, and the other thing that, it, sorry. Yeah. Oh, and, and just like the, yeah. Cause it's obviously, I, I think a big thing like a big part of it is like you know lucy puts her her blood into this like it's a very violent yes. act that she's yes. doing here which again like i uh, i think like the the imagery of violence has been tied to lucy ever since she had that knife as her awakening mm-hmm. um i don't know what was it personal Tool. item yeah, um item. And like you know so that, that's just tying her to the carmine beast at to me like in my head in that whole domain and it's just like wait the carmine beast wasn't someone who was necessarily fair mm. like i think that was explicitly called out so yeah I, I don't know like it's just yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see where this goes there's a bit of a hint as to where it's going uh next chapter actually mm. yeah um i do kind of want to touch on this fact that the thing that was the most interesting to me is after this happens lucy has this run-in with the goblins who basically are like good stuff good shit top shit right and it it put this thought into my head of like I feel like we're seeing, you know, we we heard from the Fae that these three were specifically chosen because they do have a propensity to turn into others. And we're seeing them kind of fall more into patterns that align with the specifically the others that we have around town, right? Like Lucy, I think, is becoming more and more goblin-y. Um, I think there's also parts we've talked about uh, whether Avery is going to turn into, like, Miss if she gets lost or... Avery doing some fey trickery or Verona possibly wanting to turn into an other like miss or Verona possibly becoming like tricky, like a, a fairy. Like there's these bits where it feels like they're starting to slide more and more into behaviors that you could conceivably be seen carried out by the others in town. <laughs> yeah. Like I, if you had to ask me right now, which of the types of other each Kenneteer is turning into, Mm. Like I would probably maybe put Verona as fairy, Avery mm. heading in some direction similar to Alpi. Mm. And then, yeah, Lucy, something that would have been in like the Carmine Beasts crew. Yeah, um, it doesn't even have to be Goblin. It could even just be like John, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or like, you know, I think Gillamay mentioned that the Carmine Beast has like, you know, a, a sort of like, you know, bunch of employees that doesn't feel like the right word but like you know like violence affiliated others under them yeah and like lucy might be heading in the direction where she could have become one of them or something or yeah Yeah, or like john um yeah yeah. i I mean there's definitely there's there's definitely the potential for for all that but as i said i'm i'm starting to I, i feel like these two chapters have shown us so concretely that these three are starting to hold each other up that i'm cautiously optimistic that they're going to be okay in the end yeah yeah i don't think we can put uh, put enough on it yet but it does feel like we're riding the line of which way are these three gonna go yeah yeah exactly yeah um that's kind of 
the end of 2.4. So shall we move on to, let's move on to 2.5, where we jump into Avery's head and we start out with soccer training. Avery's at soccer practice <laughs> with Audrey and Aubrey. I hate that I can totally believe a parent would name twins Audrey and Aubrey. <laughs> now, okay, I got to talk about this because obviously that's confusing, right? Obviously, like reading the chapter, there are moments where I was like, wait, which one's which and, and yeah. who's speaking now? And like, the fact that it's Audrey and Aubrey, and also those names are so similar to Avery, like they're basically three characters in the scene that have the exact same name, and it's it's confusing. And there's no way that Wabo doesn't know that that is confusing and didn't didn't see that right. And so my reaction to that is this is intentional, and therefore the question becomes why did he do it like this? Right? Is it just because it's funny to have that scene? Maybe, but I'm kind of reading into it more, and I'm. I'm kind of feeling like we touched on last chapter and Lucy talked about last chapter, how Avery is becoming entangled with the Fae. I don't know. I, I don't think Audrey and Aubrey are specifically Kilome and Marissa in disguise, although maybe, but I think that <laughs> Avery being entangled with the Fae makes it like her chapters kind of have this influence, this Fae influence and are now slightly more complicated webs. This is like a beat of her chapters becoming slightly more convoluted because that's just the way that Fae like leave you after you're entangled with them that's what i think is going on here and i think this is we're going to see more of this if avery becomes more entangled with the fae and we will see i mean yeah i actually did try to come up with my own theory about why wild Bo would have included twins with names like this and i yeah didn't come up with anything better mm. um so i can't knock your theory Thanks. in in as far as i can say i yeah like i I, I, I like this idea that, you know, the, like the now that fairy have been involved, you just start, sort of have to get paranoid about everything. <laughs> yeah, it's the best part. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I to, to sort of touch on what happened in 2.4 again as well, we do see Avery try to help Lucy a bit here, where she says to Miss Hardy, uh, you know, she kind of brings up how Mr. Bate is like a bit of an ass to, to mm. Lucy. And uh, like this is where uh, Audbury um, come into it a bit because like they really they really take that stance of you know unless there's like proof and he's explicitly broken the rules like lay off because he's a good coach and and so you know we should look past that other stuff because we need him to be the good coach and it's just like like I hate I hate that thinking like stop enabling the shitty parts of him to to you know leave him in a position of power because of the the other good stuff he can do like that doesn't mean he shouldn't be called out for the bad sides yes, of him totally um, um i, I, I think it, it i think it is just uh i can't remember which one it is aubrey audrey whatever um that doesn't have this lived experience of feeling the you know the systematic oppression that lucy has been at the hands of now that avery does have insight into that she can kind of see that it's a bit more insidious yeah yeah exactly and she's she, yeah she's trying to stand up for lucy and and they're kind of fighting against this but i was just like uh, i'm also so proud of of avery because like, she's not someone who steps up that's not quite mm. her her thing especially mm. in this sort of way um I, like there's actually a bit of a metaphor going on because something mr bader is sort of screaming at the kids as they're doing this this goal drill is like i, th- I think it's melissa who is like you you don't freeze like if you freeze Mm. nothing happens whereas if you make a mistake you can learn for, from it and and that's kind of the thing avery's doing here where she's like she just knows now that she needs to do something to help lucy 
Yeah. And and so she's going to do that. I mean, there's also, there's other stuff tied in. Like, I think this soccer, like, Wabo pulls so much out of it. Like, the way Avery doesn't shoot her goals, she just sort of dribbles them in because it's like, you know, she's good at this stuff that's close to her. She has that tight circle and she just dribbles her soccer ball in. She's not out there taking big shots and being extroverted. Mm. Uh, it's so perfect. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so then we have this point where the soccer practice wraps up um, and we have this car scene where the Kelly family basically have a nightmare of experience <laughs> in this car. Things get very out of hand and Avery and Sheridan run off together. Yeah. Actually, before, as they get to the car, there's that really interesting bit with Melissa. Mm. Like, I don't know why I, I don't know why I'm focusing on this so much. Cause it's like literally it's like 10 lines of the, of the chapter and it's a long chapter, mm. but like Melissa kind of comes over and she's like, Oh, Hey, you should do cross country. And Avery is like, no, I don't want to. I don't like running yeah. without a point. Blah, blah. Yeah. And then <laughs> Avery sort of has weird response. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I kind of get that, but it's just like Avery has this bit after it where she's like, I don't get Melissa. Like she's, you know, she's so strange. And it's like, I think 90% of what we've seen of Melissa in mm. this story has just been Melissa trying to get people to do things that she thinks they'd be good at or that they'd enjoy. Yeah. Like, she, like she's always like, oh, trait. Yeah, like she's always like, hey, Verona, you'd be good at dancing. And, and maybe she took that one too far because it's turned yeah. into like, you know, harassing into Verona kind of. Yeah, for sure. But, but like, you know, I think the other thing was during the the basketball stuff, um, Melissa was like to Avery, hey, you're actually pretty good at basketball considering it's not your thing. Maybe you should do it more. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, like everyone keeps sort of shitting on Melissa and I just keep sitting here thinking, I don't know, she actually just seems to kind of be trying to match make people with hobbies that they'll enjoy, like that that kind of seems like a cool thing to do i i, I don't know <laughs> is, is there going to be some big reveal about melissa because she just keeps coming up as being a nice person and everyone's just kind of like, like she got she was like second last in class ranker or something yeah i don't know maybe she's a bit too pushy with some of her welcoming but you're right yeah. i don't see why everyone seems to dislike <laughs> her so much it just it keeps coming every time she comes up people are like oh melissa's so weird and i'm like what maybe she's she, you know she just seems nice maybe she's uh here we go here we go. Here we okay. go. Okay. <laughs> you know the other character that hasn't really done anything too terrible? But She's not seems Charles. To kind of hate them. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. <laughs> She's forsworn, at least. So she was a practitioner, but was forsworn for some reason. And now, because of her forsworn, everyone just seems to hate her. Or is she they Charles's... They put their finger on why. Is she Charles's daughter? Is that the big reveal? That, that must be it. And everyone <laughs> hates her just because of Charles' radiation. Yeah, exactly um anyway let's get back to this exhausting <laughs> car scene because every time we yep. have a scene with avery's family it's such a chaotic mess like <laughs> and here's what i would do if i was avery's parents two kids per scene okay only two <laughs> of the kids at a time can be in a room or a car or any like scene in air quotes at a time no more than two kids because otherwise it just becomes a nightmare immediately yeah i mean yeah like i i was just I just was like so unsurprised when Sheridan and Avery were both like, "Yeah, I'm out." Yeah, and and um, like yeah, you could really start to see how Avery ended up in the position she was in, where where she was flying so under the radar. Because like in this family, you just have to fight so hard for your slice of attention, because mm. that's what all the other kids are doing. And like if Avery just wasn't causing trouble, you can see how you know, as Sheridan put it, like her parents would just forget she exists. Um. I mean, I mean, Sheridan and Avery kind of use that to their advantage in this car mm. scene because they're, they're both sort of like, yeah, we're going. And the dad's like, oh, no, 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 you can't. 
and they're like yeah but we're gonna and then Kerry or Declan like, like, will start doing something and he just has to get distracted by them he's like yes. oh like, f- okay fine whatever yeah um so it's kind of like deal with everything at once that's why yeah, I said exactly. two kids per scene that should be the rule <laughs> yeah because yeah I mean that's what we see here is like uh Sheridan and Avery using that thing to their advantage rather than you know having it hurt both of them actually it turns out like it has in the past yeah yeah um and then we get this brief scene of Sheridan and Avery actually connecting. And I'm very offended that Wildbo would humanize Sheridan because I want to continue <laughs> hating her forever. Um, but no, they have a nice sisterhood moment. You know, Sheridan is still a bit bitchy towards Avery, but it feel, it felt very real, right? It's, it felt yeah. very realistic. Yeah, I mean, like this is just sort of the one of the ultimate proofs that Wildbo can write family well. Mm. I, I thought this scene was perfect. I definitely had this experience growing up where, like, you will constantly be at each other's throats, like you and your siblings sort of in the yeah. house. And then when it's just the two of you, for some reason, you actually will just have like this, this deep and meaningful, like nice conversation. Then you go back home and you'll immediately start tearing into each other. Like nothing happened. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, this was sort of peak sibling relationship in my, or at least in my experience. Um, I, I find Sheridan so much more fascinating now because she's kind of resembling this, alternate path avery could have gone down with mm. like the whole slipping through the right because sheridan basically says oh this was happening to me and her solution was to just kind of make the space for herself by being yeah. like carrying her way into yes. getting attention yes it's almost like lucy-esque path like like, mm. like like lucy talks a lot about how sh- she kind of just had to stop taking pe- people's shit and like you know yeah do all this sort of defensive dressing and stuff and it's a little bit similar like sheridan sort of looked at what was happening and and was just like was taught to fight for Mm. her her slice of it basically yeah i wonder if that's a positive influence on avery like if avery now hearing this will take that step a bit more i don't know is that even a good thing who knows yeah, well, because it's been a, it's a mixed bag for Sheridan because she sort of also has this bit where she's like, I have like no friends, yeah, like boyfriend or anything. She's like, she's basically just in a holding pattern. She's just pushing through the grind until she can leave the town. Yeah, until she can uh, basically restart her life in another place. Yeah, which is like obviously you know uh, like good luck with that. I mean, it works for some people, it doesn't for others. But also, you know, it echoed to me like Avery's whole relationship situation where, you know, she kind of needs to start switching out of the town, except um, Avery and, and Lucy and Verona can't fully leave the town forever, right? Like that was something we sort of established during the awakening ritual. They're tied to the town to some degree mm. for the rest of their lives. Yes. So that's not an option for Avery. <laughs> yeah, not really. Not not in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So Avery heads off to Verona's house to chill out and finally gets to see just how much of a shitbag Verona's dad is. <laughs> I, I This might be one of the scariest locations we've seen in this story <laughs> that includes genuine monsters. Like, yeah. this house is so unsettling from Avery's yeah. perspective. I, yeah. Like, I, this this was fantastic. Like, we just, we just spent two chapters in, like, a fairy cave... The, uh, made of nightmares and we're not too far out from like the fucking ho- hungry choirs horror universe mm. and i was still like there's something existentially creepier about verona's house than any the, of those situations yes i think the thing that really sells it is the chairs and tables yes. being like waxed in place which is so <laughs> insane it's so crazy that the fact that they just haven't 
moved half of the chairs around their dining table or their dining table in months and therefore as they wax the floors they just wax around these chairs like and it's, it's been building up it's it's crazy it's so it's such good horror material like i was just like oh it's so it's so uncanny valley creepy this whole sort of house and it like it really sold to me this idea of like verona wanting to become an other because you sort of look at this house from avery's perspective and you're like i think the humanity has already left this house yeah. like a, a while ago yeah um you can it, it doesn't feel like a home that humans are living in anymore anyway yeah for sure um yeah and so while they're here avery and verona kind of have a conversation about what they're going to do in response to lucy and how they should improve and it's great i love it verona you're back in my good books congratulations <laughs> um yeah I, I mean verona does microwave her fries which yeah that is horrifying yeah that that's actually an unforgivable stories yeah um thing that she's just done there i mean in fact you know what she's already become an other because that's the most <laughs> monstrous thing we've seen in this story yeah um but yeah i mean it, this is definitely that sort of moment where you start to get hope in verona like this conversation with avery you start thinking like verona has actually done what lucy was hoping she has been thinking on this and she's going to try and be there for lucy a bit more mm. um and, and i love how verona kind of starts to do this by quizzing avery a bit and i think she's trying to step up for avery as well um uh, yeah i don't know i'm just the the theme for these three between these two chapters like as a trio was just so like they're gonna be there for each other and i kind of like like it's so heartwarming like all the mm. horrible bits in between aside mm. um yeah yeah and yeah. i mean again there's just a, such a contrast between avery's home situation and verona's oh yeah Verona's um, dad is the worst he's so annoying yeah oh but just like you know talking about how lucy saw avery's home and was like overwhelmed like yeah. i think part of the horror of of verona's house from avery's perspective is like how different it is like it's it's so far the other way it's like oppressively silent mm. you know there's all the stuff with the tables like it's just um i'm loving having these three see the others living perspectives and use that to start to understand them and grow closer to them mm. like i think avery comes out with so much more of an understanding of verona from this experience than she had going in mm. yeah um yeah <laughs> it's uh yeah they it's crazy the I, don't, I mean we keep hitting this beat but it is crazy the home lives that these three have and how much it pushes them into these horrifying situations <laughs> yeah um yeah like verona's dad is the worst and basically it just seems to be projecting all of his hatred and fear of, of uh, verona's mother onto verona which is terrifying terrible um Oh yeah, he needs he needs so much help so desperately. Like, yeah. like the fact that he can't even pull himself together mm. the, now that Avery's here is really just a testament to how like far gone he is. Yeah, like he's like, oh Verona, go get Avery and bring her in here, and, yeah. and like he's just what? like lying in bed in a singlet yeah. or something, and it's just like, yeah, like that's he, not yeah, like he can't pull himself together to meet Verona's new friend. Like it's just he's just yeah, he needs help. Yeah. Um. But the good thing about this is we kind of have seen Lucy see Avery's house and Avery's seen Verona's house now. Um, Avery's also obviously seen Lucy's house. And we, we're kind of... Actually, has Verona seen Avery's house yet? I'm not sure. I but don't think so. Anyway, we, we, we're we getting this point where all three of them feel like they're developing stronger empathy for for the others. 
and it feels like they're really growing into being good, strong support networks for each other, which is really nice and, and positive. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and like with the interactions we see in this chapter, like Avery is sort of stepping up in her own way and she's really good at getting stuff out of Verona and that really culminates at the end of the chapter with, with um, Alpi and, and Verona's dad that we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but like it's nice not just seeing this through through having them visit each other and get a bit closer but like you actually see avery help verona in mm. this chapter which is like such a perfect way to deliver on what her and lucy were talking about last chapter that we didn't quite get into where like lucy's sort of like i can't tell you how to help me you just need to figure it out and i think part of what avery starts to do is take care of verona which is you know something that lucy's going to have to hopefully do less of if mm. avery is also pulling some of that weight mm. um yeah but I did want to ask you, like, something that's starting to crop up quite repeatedly in terms of Verona is this, this like, organized within disorganized motif. Mm. Like, like, Verona talked about it a lot two, two chapters ago or, you know, in last week, where she started talking about, like, English versus French gardens and how she'd organize a garden. <laughs> yeah. And then avery comes into her room and there's this like and again brings up like a very similar idea of oh there's an organized layer within the general clutter and disorganization and verona even has her spell book where or you know she has like a messy notebook and then she kind of builds a smaller organized one within it which i think yeah. is like the same sort of thing and i'm just i'm noticing this pattern but i don't know what to do with it yet yeah, so to clarify the pattern, because I, I didn't really notice it, but now that you've pointed it out, I do see this. It's, um yeah, I guess organized within disorganized, right? Yeah. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of the the way that Verona's entire life is kind of messy, her human life, I guess. And she's kind of found this aspect of something that she's good at and has control over, at least to some extent, within the practice. Kind of gives me this vibe of like, multiple parts of Rona's life she doesn't feel like she has control in or she feels powerless about but she does have these places where she's seeking to build control I don't know if there's mm. anything like any grand statements to make about it beyond the fact that probably good for her to have some parts that she feels competent and capable at and then build out from there to help influence her life in a positive direction but I yeah don't know if there's any like no I, I, I like points. that it's like Verona yeah it, maybe it's 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 sort of symbolizing this way she can kind of just focus on parts of her life and ignore mm. the rest. Yeah. Like she's, well, you know, yeah. she's sort of trying to put her dad in the bucket of, oh, I don't care about that and it doesn't matter. Whereas, and she doesn't care what most people think of her from the yeah. looks of it. But yeah. like when she hurts Lucy, it's like, oh shit, like, you know, Lucy is in the yeah. organized like column that she actually cares about. She's going to do something about that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's any... Uh, bold tinfoil predictions to make about it yet but something to keep an eye on i suppose come back next week i'm, I'm yeah. sure reuben will have thought of something <laughs> um so next verona and avery head to meet up with lucy and they get the final gifts from the fae yep i mean i suppose you got to rip this band-aid off at some yep. point yep um there's a lovely reconcile between verona and lucy which i really loved verona is clearly yep. putting in effort to be better to her friend and it like I genuinely teared up at the group hug thing. Like it was so good. I'm so invested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the group hug bit was was especially where it just became like amazing to me because it was like mm. Verona brings up this whole idea of of like hugging 
as a thing they used to do and and sort of should start doing again and they start doing it and then it's like oh but also we're going to include avery now and it's that sense like i think yeah, yeah. introducing avery into these three might have been the biggest mistake the kind of others made if their goal really was to make these girls other yeah because i think I'm, I'm just so optimistic they're bringing each other up i think i've said that like 10 times this episode but Unless yeah they're gonna turn into like some kind of three-in-one totem pole other where the fact that they're so close and disconnected from the rest of the world <laughs> is the strength. Some sort of Cerberus, but with the heads yeah, of a, like a, a deer, yeah, totally. a cat, and um, a fox. Oh, what if they turn into a chimera that's like a deer-fox-cat <laughs> hybrid? Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, they're, do... they're called the Ketateers, right? So it's like, you know, they're going to... That's mm. that's their Captain Planet thing when they put yeah, when they their go, powers they combined. Yeah, when they Voltron together. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit more of a Megazord. Anyway. Um, so I do think it's funny that Verona's like trying to restart this hugging thing, which I just felt like is exactly what I thought Verona would do in terms of, it's like trying to find a clean solution when there isn't really one. I mean, it's very sweet and it it is nice, uh, but it's, you know, you can't just put in place this one rule Verona and have, expect that to solve everything. It, it is a bit of a practitionary way to try and fix yes. it because what she's doing is saying, this is a pattern that like you know symbolized our friendship so we'll just keep doing that pattern and yeah. like that and hopefully then the friendship will become Stronger like you know patterns that yeah. are being reinforced yeah um which i mean she's probably not not wrong um like i mean hugs hugs are just a very like emotional and connecting thing like symbolically so like i i I actually am kind of on Verona's side. I think it's a very practitionary but probably effective way to do what she wants to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Um, so then they get the gifts from the Fae, but they get them to write them down, <laughs> which is great. Like, it's, a, it's, it's hilarious, but it's also a great way of, like, expressing more caution at this because it means that the Fae can't at least not as directly fuck with them. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, we're going to open up these letters and it's going to be a fucking riddle or something, you know. Yeah. But, like, you're right. It's sort of taking that one step where now they can take this stuff away and think on it before doing it as opposed yes. to just Verona's a mink now. Yeah, exactly. You're not trapped in the immediacy of a situation. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'm I'm not optimistic that this will completely disentangle them from Fae traps, but it's yeah. it's like a start, right? Yeah, definitely. A, a good start, I think. Yeah um there's also a bit that comes up here where we start to talk about like paul um <laughs> well like lucy sort of mentions what, yeah. what's happening and, and alpi comes in at this point as well um because it, it seems like lucy's curse may not necessarily stick mm. um like she alpi brings up that lucy's actually a bit depowered because she's maybe told some white lies or something mm. um which, like, you know, I, I think we can go back. Like, there was a bit where she said she was going to push a wife down a stair and she didn't. Like, there's, there's yeah. all sorts of little things. Little but things it's like, like yeah. actually, the fact that her mum is planning to reach out to Paul and the fact that Lucy wasn't at 100% power is sort of like, oh, this may not stick. And yeah. Lucy seems actually kind of a bit relieved about that. Yeah, I think she's feeling a bit guilty or that she went a bit too far with it. Yeah, yeah, which, like, you know, I, I think... It's sort of the best because I think the lot like we sort we sort of had that debate about like you know what, what you know what is her job and stuff with all the punishments yeah. but like the last thing she needs to 
have is also guilt for what she did to yes, that definitely. guy. Like, so if if she was at all feeling guilty for what she did, like, then I, I hope for how all hell it gets reversed or not mm. not fully reversed i mean that's the other thing albie introduces that these curses can like bounce back at you mm. um if if things go the wrong way which is just like we've given so much shit to the fairy for not being trustworthy but the goblins are something you shouldn't trust for their own complete reasons because <laughs> they just didn't think to mention this extra step like they're yeah. so you can't depend on the goblins to actually give you the whole truth because i just won't think to from the sounds of it yes yeah, definitely. Um, I I mean, I don't think any of the Kenneth others you should fully trust. Except Alpie, who's great. No, no well, yeah, yeah, Alpie's 100% on the level. Um, yeah. But yeah, the goblins, it's interesting because I don't think they're necessarily trying to trick them. They're just kind yes. of stupid and they'll they not think that a detail consider, matters. Yeah, exactly. They don't consider everything holistically, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the trio accompany Alpie on her rounds, uh, with the first stop being Verona's dad. Um, so they head back to Verona's house to give a nightmare to her dad. So, okay, here's something I want to ask at this point. Am I the only one who thinks there may be push, uh, the Kennedys are maybe pushing back a, like an unfair amount on Alpie's job? Mm. Um, like, I, you know, we saw it last chapter as well 2.3 and we see it a lot here they're just constantly sort of questioning and, and calling alpi what she does is really evil and monstrous and mm. I, I mean i guess she's the only per or the only other that we know of that's like you know directly interacting with like you know innocent people i, I uh, feel innocent. like yeah um, i feel like that's only because she's the most transparent like yeah i think the fae are out there fucking with random people I well, think it, that's the, like the fae the and the goblins if they're yeah. at all interacting with regular people that's undoubtedly a hundred times worse than what yes. alpi's doing right yes i agree so i agree I, I, I don't know it's just it's it's weird to me how much the three kind of tears are sort of looking at what alpi's doing they're like this is wrong and i'm kind of like well well it's fine <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, like you know it's maybe not great at times but like, we, we do start to get into a little debate here about like, how is much it this helpful? is helping is it a um, service? as yeah. we sort of do verona's dad yeah yeah i don't know i agree with you i think they're i think it's because apart from the hungry choir alpi's the only one who's actually talked about the way she interacts with other people right um yeah actually with, yeah you know, that's a good point sense. i forgot about the hungry choir that one's like objectively a thousand times well, yeah worse than but they clearly right? like, <laughs> they clearly are moving actively against the hungry choir <laughs> right fair um, fair there's this moment okay <laughs> <laughs> we just talk about how great Alpie is. I love Alpie so much, <laughs> and she not just not in the least because she has it, an awesome accent, and she just speaks with this Scottish accent. And there's this one time that she says, "Ye shut your weeshed Alpina hist," which I don't know what like W H E E S H T. It's like weeshed, weesh. I have no idea, but it's, I love it's it. wished. I actually googled it, and it's like a it's like a Scottish sort of slang for like for silence. Yeah, so she's basically telling them to shut up and be silent. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love how how Alpi's accent is sort of written phonetically. <laughs> it's so um, good. I, I I like I used to read Redwall a lot growing up, and it, yeah. it did the same sort of thing. And it's just yeah. such a fun like way to make a character stand out. Yeah, I love Alpi, and I'm I'm. That makes me so sad because if I love her, she's probably going to be involved with the Carmine Beast's death in some way and be some <laughs> level guilty. And they haven't actually really interviewed Alpi yet properly either. So I'm kind of a bit 
nervous about it. But I love well, her I and I'm sure she'll be fine. That's what they were attempting to do in, in this yes, section, and it does I think, get before, derailed. before things go off the rails. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't help but trust Alpi as well. I'm, I'm the same. I'm like, I just can't picture her being the baddie, She's which probably genuine. means she is. But right now, yeah. I just can't make it come together in my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about this scene where Verona basically plays chicken with herself about uh, Alpi giving a nightmare to her dad. Um, she kind mm. of convinces herself that this is something that should be fine because it's actually to improve her dad. But I actually feel like she internally is kind of wants him to suffer just to be a bit vindicated right um yeah and eventually is forced to kind of admit no i don't want him to be hurt because i do actually care about my dad and it's interesting it's like it she basically does play chicken with herself and i feel like it's possibly not enough by itself to force this but possibly a beat that may be repeated later that forces verona to actually start thinking about some of the complicated feelings with her dad and start some change in some direction i don't know which way but yeah, because I, you know, as we sort of touched on, I don't think it's Verona's responsibility no. to to fix her dad. Yes, hundred percent. But but also that's the situation we're in, and her her current strategies are not helping either mm. of them. Yeah. Um. So it's sort of like yes, it's disappointing that he's not the one stepping up, but also, well, yeah. I, I sometimes that's just the way the cards fall. I guess. I. It, I mean, this is a very humanizing moment for Verona. Um. I, I love how it's Avery that kind of drags it out of her. Like the whole way over, Verona's like, oh, I don't care. And she's sort of yeah. doing that thing where she's, like, we saw in her head, she's trying to make herself not care. Yes. Um, But she does. And I, yes. Avery really challenges that directly. And that's sort of, I think, finally what helps Verona just break. Yeah, it's and it, good. It, it, it's so heart-wrenching that Verona sees this as- She sees it as weak, as weak. Yeah. She says that she's wimped out, which is- and of course, Avery's like, no, that's not wimping out. <laughs> I think Lucy, I think Lucy accidentally, but like, yeah, I, uh, I think yeah. everyone else in the room was probably just like, this isn't wimping out. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean that that's that's sort of this whole, you know, this this punitive versus restorative justice stuff that we start to get into with with Alpi here, like, because that's sort of what they start to discuss whether what she's doing fits those two categories like you know mm. is it is this actually something that's going to help her dad or you know this this other old codger guy who 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 beat his wife like is this going to help them actually get better or is it just sort of tormenting them and then they're going to wake up and just still be shit yeah and um with verona's dad i i i feel more very strongly about which direction it was going to push him in which is just make him wallow more yeah but um yeah like i mean it's it's tough because like i i think alpi's you know cosmological in it justice um is so interesting because it's one of those things where i feel like if you spin it the right way you know it, you're incepting people to to try and be better and i yes. could kind of get behind that to some degree yeah um but if it's just like beating someone while they're down like that's where verona comes in where she's like i don't know if this would actually help him yeah it's it's so tricky yeah i think that the the read on it is somewhere between those two you know points right and it could be like hey great opportunity to force people to reflect and improve or it could be hey i'm just going to pile shit on people and make them act worse because they feel worse yeah. more consistently i don't know you're right it's it's gray um yeah i think it depends how it's used and when it's used and, and i do think verona makes the right call here because she gets Alpi to stop on her dad and sort of like well yeah because like we know Verona's dad this is not going to improve him this is going to just hurt him more 
and, and and like this this moment where I think with these other two around her, Verona is sort of like, I need like this isn't helping, and that's the sort of the first step towards maybe trying to help him to some degree, which would just yeah. be like again probably not her job in an ideal world, but we are where we are, and yeah, her helping him would be like a good thing to see because long term it would be great for her as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Also, to, to jump back a bit, um, we, we kind of skipped over, like, the fairy do actually give the girls some more gifts, and, yes. and I just wanted to talk about what those gifts are, yeah, sure. um, especially before we go into um, to the, the extra material, because um, Lucy gets this glamour that's going to let her turn into moonlight or smoke or flame. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, wild. Like, there's a huge difference between becoming a mink becoming uh, like you know a different person and becoming fucking moonlight like, okay moonlight is the one that really just blows my mind out like smoke and flame i can kind of get it mm-hmm. how do you become moonlight is that invisibility is that is that a fancy term for invisibility no you just turn into moonlight come on elliot it's pretty straightforward <laughs> what's that mean yeah i have no idea i have no idea um, um also, what's a Carmine Beast imagery there? I'm just going to keep hitting that mm. drum with Lucy. Like, I should probably stop calling it Carmine Beast imagery and just call it like, I don't know, other verse like violence imagery. Mm. But you know, there's all this stuff with with blood and knives and moonlight. Yeah. Um, associated with that whole domain in this story. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I have a prediction to pull out about that later. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then obviously, like, uh, Guillaume gives his first gift to Avery. Mm-hmm. And my, my understanding on what he says is that it's glamour that will give her self-confidence. <laughs> oh, God knows. Like, I, that, that's my understanding based on what he says, but, you know, it, he's a fairy, so I don't know if I understood what he said. Um, I mean, I kind of hope that's what it is, because that's like... I mean, that's going to be a hilarious disaster if it gets used. Yeah, I- God knows what even it would do. Um, presumably would tie into some of the problematic stuff that happened last time she was under glamour. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just picturing, like, you know that, that bit in Spider-Man 3? Where... Oh, yeah. She'd turn into super confident yeah. dancing Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Endlessly gifable that would be. So, uh, <laughs> um, so the, the group head off with Alpi to the next house call, but find it has been tampered with. And here's our setup for whatever's going to happen next. Oh, what a great ending. Like, I'm yeah. so mad that I'm going to be... It's like two more days when we're recording this before I can read it and it's already out. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, it seems like things are going to go to the paths uh, next or at least one of these other worlds, maybe the ruins, the abyss or any of the other ones that were mentioned, which is crazy. I thought it would be at least another arc before we went there, but, you know. Thanksgiving. I actually got the impression at the end of last week's episode that we were going to go there pretty soon, but not. This is very soon. Not like this. Yeah, exactly. I, I thought we were going to start setting up rituals and do it in a controlled manner, which is just no, like, you know, I've read not. enough Wild Boy stories. Yeah. I should know better than that by now. That's on me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, this is so much fun because it's not only now that we have this mystery of another practitioner is involved hanging over our heads, Yeah. but also like. We don't even know where we're going in these paths. It's just like Miss, who seems to be very good at moving through them because she can just teleport around town, which yes. I assume involves the paths. As can Alpi. Um, yeah, exactly. So we kind of got these two experts leading the three of them, but we don't know where we're going. Like, no. you know, you talked about, are we going to the ruins or, or whatever? It's just like, we, we have no fucking clue. They're going to follow a trail and that's going to be yeah. bizarre and I can't wait. I love um, that we might finally get the chance to see Miss 
in action as well, which I will be very yeah. thrilled for. Um, I, I, I'm super interested to see another practitioner. Well, because... we've already seen one, and the names aren't Heather because it's very, it's very interesting. <laughs> oh, what a this happened right when Aunt Heather came around, right? I um, mean, yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to draw that line, but that's the thing. It's not hard to draw that line. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, Probably a bit too obvious, and that's why it's going to be who was it, Melissa? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Miss no, does. Like, I, I think. Sorry, just, just, just for me, like with this, with, with seeing another practitioner. Wait, that's going to tell us so much about, I think, the future of the Kenneteers or where yes. they're heading because yes. we haven't seen any other practitioners and we're, we're starting to talk about them turning other. And our only other really practitioner that we've seen is is Charles, who's like, you know, objectively a failure at it. And Matthew and Edith kind of don't count. So I, I feel like there's a lot for the book to say about like what it would be like to be a practitioner when we see our first ones. Mm. Not that, you know, we'll see a practitioner and then we can generalize and say for all practitioners, they are as miserable or as happy as this person. But I think the book will kind of be making a statement like on what we should think about the practice when we meet our first like professional practitioner. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it will also shed light on we've suspected for a while that something more is going on with the Kenneth others. And I think seeing another practitioner might start to shed light oh, yeah. on that. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I think it would have to. Um, we should also point out that Miss has this bit where she explicitly says, these three girls are the only practitioners in Kennet, which ruins all my crazy theories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Oh, no. Uh, oh. Isn't it tragic? Uh, I, my apologies for your loss. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, but we've, we've already sort of been talking a lot recently about what is and isn't in Kennet. Yeah. Um, like there's all these other realms that they said are adjacent, but technically count as not being in Kennet. So yeah. ha has some practitioner just been like hiding out yeah. in Living the ruins in, the in yeah. a way that's like in Kennet, but not in Kennet, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll see. We'll have to see when we meet them. Uh, but that's the end of the main chapters. Should we talk about yes. the bonus bit uh, called Gifts Collected, which is just a collection of Rona's emails? Yeah, yeah, she, she sends some emails to the gang. Yeah, basically just listing all the gifts that have been given and her thoughts and theories about each of them. Yeah, it, it's another cool, like, recap yes. um, to just to sort of remind us where everything's at. Like, I definitely got a lot out of this. Um, I think it's also really fun to see, like, Verona's thoughts laid out like this. Yeah. Not just because, like, we didn't have a Verona chapter, but there's, like, a difference between seeing Verona's thoughts in her narration and like seeing her sort of compiled notes, yeah. Like, like you know, talk, talking to having a conversation with someone versus like reading their memoirs would be <laughs> like a very different experience. And that's kind of what we get here. We get to see when Verona sits down and really thinks on it. How does she? How is she processing everything they've been through? Yeah, I really like the section with the Fay because we get this beat. It's a consistent beat of, or it's a very solid beat of Verona really stepping up in terms of like trying to be safe and careful, which is nice. Like, she's explicitly thinking through, here are all the potential traps, here's what might go wrong. And there's a lot of really interesting good thoughts in there that are, like, genuinely not things that I thought of about traps. Yeah, yeah I'd say there were maybe 50% of the traps she spotted, potential traps she spotted. I was like, yep, I'd thought of that. And the other 50%, yeah. I was like, fuck, good idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like, I I'm not sure exactly when in story, because, like, something I love about all this extra material is the way it's tied into the story. Like, it's not... Like, it's always meant to be from a point in the yeah, story yeah. And, and exist in it. Um, 
I don't know exactly when these emails are meant to have gone out. Maybe the afternoon before Avery came over to mm. Verona's house. Mm. Just because she doesn't talk about the extra gifts they got that night. Yes. So it's not like after 2.5. But it talk like to me this this is like our first look at the head of like new Verona, who is actually trying to take this stuff seriously for Lucy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um there's this other bit that I wanted to bring up, which is there's this one thing that that um Verona makes reference to Lucy having filled in uh, filled them in on stuff and it this happens a few times in this chapter where there's just small references of like uh, oh you know we filled verona in on the paul thing or whatever right and it just it makes me happy that these three are very very much so spending time outside of what we see filling each other in on what's being happened like there's no secrets between them about things that are happening and i think that's great it means that there's not going to be any like circumstances where one of them doesn't understand something that's going on because they are keeping <laughs> each other abreast of everything that's happening and i think that's awesome and i think that i really like that being explicitly called out in the story yeah i i agree the fact that they are actually just communicating and being open with each other is such a good sign yeah and it's also so rare in fiction i think this is one of my like favorite rare tropes is is like a team that is actually just well coordinated and there's there's not as much inter-team drama they're actually just a unit and that's sort of what I think the Kennedys are like. They have their stumbles, like, you know, Lucy had to yell at them this episode. But um, for the most part, like, they're actually just sort of communicating and it's so nice. Yeah, it's great. Um, I also love how Toad Swallow is listed separately from all the other goblins. Like, he, I, I don't know what to make of it yet, but he's just such a... Mm. There's something about Toad Swallow compared to the other goblins that just makes me, like, think there's there's something more to him, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, but you're right. He feels a bit, like, larger than the others as a, you know, persona. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a bit and different as well. Like, he's not quite as goblin as the other goblins are. Yeah, or he's he's, he's just different somehow. Yeah. And, and I, 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 yeah, I don't think it's an accident that he's listed separately from all the other goblins. Yeah. Um. I also love how for the fairy part, Verona's started using like an out of 10 rating system for how good the gifts are. <laughs> um, that was just, that, that led to some great comedy beats. Um, those of you who listen to our other show, MediaMD, will of course know that out of 10 rating systems are like foolproof and consistent. Mm-hmm. Very, um, very consistent. No problems. <laughs> so I love how like hilariously skewed the numbers are to like towards Verona's gifts as well. Mm. Like she's just like, oh, this is a 9.5 out of 10 gift yeah um yeah a lot of fun yeah. <laughs> the one that she really liked was the mink one which i yeah. thought was hilarious um you could just imagine lucy's response to, yes, to, that. to that email <laughs> um cool so that's the main things to discuss uh before we wrap up though uh we want to pull out some f- predictions that people have made in pale predictor our prediction uh, application so what's your pale predictor highlight for this week uh, yes, yeah, so I've pulled out one by uh, Jusso, who um, basically has, has, you know, put down a theory that Matthew was actually entrapped into becoming an other by the others of Kennet in the same way that they're doing to the Kenneteers. Mm. So 
yeah basically the idea that you know they they talked about charles being their predecessor in a way but they didn't mm. say immediate predecessor so yes. um I, I guess part of just so theory actually i don't know if just so thinks matthew's before or after charles but basically at some point matthew may have been a practitioner who got roped into being the local practitioner for a bit with the idea that they pushed him towards becoming other mm. um you know and and so yeah he's a bit of a prototype or you know he's a predecessor for what the the kennetes are you know what that makes me think it makes me feel like the kennet others have this system where they recruit people that are close to being others and groom them into others and as others that are in kennet become too like dangerous you know john takes care of them like he did his other yeah friend or like the hungry choir they're being dealt with as well right because like it's this system of bring people in turn them into others and if the current others become too problematic you know have john execute them basically and that's the dynamic that is being set up here which is a bit nerve-wracking yeah yeah i mean we we sort of talked right from 1.1 about like wanting to see more of the the cracks underneath this seemingly great commune of of others um this would maybe be part of that because like i think the fact that the kenneteers aren't as unique or original an idea in the town i think would sort of to me at least shake a bit of the specialness away from it like for the for the kenneteers it's a bit of a wake-up call that like they're just part of a pattern they're part of a system yeah yeah like when things go wrong we get some humans uh we get them to do a job for us and then we turn them into others like it yeah it's like it makes that plan feel even more gross the fact that it's kind Mm. of systematized Mm. yeah for sure premeditated much more than we thought yes yeah um the prediction i pulled out was by a user called verbal shadow who says uh talking about the idea that the carmine beast should have remains that are left in town verbal shadow says yes we've seen those remains because that's what our three main characters are three main characters (laughs) are what remains of the carmine beast's power the space of time between the death and the other's response is a big hint these three were placed with people in town who wouldn't notice a family with too many kids to keep track of a mum who wanted another child, and a man who's so focused on themselves that the burden of a kid is barely noticeable. So damn, <laughs> what a juicy theory. These three are actually the remnants of the Carmine Beast's power that has been given form and brought into the world, you know, five to six weeks ago and then just kind of placed into this society. Um, so so it's part of this theory that these these three girls didn't exist before like six a weeks month ago? or two months ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I guess... Like the most interesting thing, because yeah, obviously, like if that's if that's a theory, like so Avery was just kind of slipped in and not noticed, as mm-hmm. they said. Um, Verona was kind of dumped on some poor lonely dude, yeah, um, who isn't coping well with his new reality of having a kid. Yes, um, uh, Lucy's kind of the most fascinating one because, as they mentioned, like so so Booker must have left out, and so I guess yeah. Jazz Lucy's would have mom, been em- yeah. em- empty nesting, yeah, exactly. like hard, and uh, Miss just dropped off like a stork. And then Miss actually is some kind of other version of a stork, presumably, uh, dropped <laughs> off uh, Lucy at the house. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating because, like, we've, we've seen with the Hungry Choir that you can rewrite history in that mm-hmm. sort of way. That's kind of what this is playing into, right? Yeah. So this is the reversal of that, where these three were created. Yes. Rather than erased. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that's fascinating. I love... Um, I mean, obviously, there's more going on with why these three are picked up, what's going on with the dynamics. And these mm. theories, both the theories, yours and mine, that we picked out, are just kind of thinking about that more. And I love that. I think we maybe even should add a bit more of an official category to, like, what's going on with Kenneth as a category. 
Yes. Yeah, I, I think I want to start adding more categories soon. I'm noticing some trends in the miscellaneous category yeah. um, as well. I'm having to constantly delete packed spoiler predictions. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm almost just wondering if we there. spin Come up on, like folks. a second smaller sheet that's like chuck all your packed predictions here or, or packed influence predictions here. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, some of them are great, but like I keep, I keep having to delete them because that's not what Pale Predictor is meant to have in it. Yep, it's meant to be um, unspoiled. Yes. I, I think, yeah, I mean, this whole thing with the Carmine Beast powers, interesting. Like, the, the first time I read Verbal Shadows uh, thing, I misunderstood it at the start. And I actually thought part of what they were implying was the, you know how we keep getting told the, the three Kennedys are pulling power from the local others? Yes. I thought Verbal Shadow was implying they're actually getting their power from the remains of the Carmine Beast. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, interesting because you know like we're, we're seeing you know lucy sees daggers everywhere verona sees her little animals yeah, we've behind seen the, the film yeah everywhere um like there's been so much talk about where are the carmine beasts remains and i can't help but wonder like isn't that just them everywhere or is that like is that meant to just be imbalance due yeah. to the lack of the carmine beast yeah i mean that's what they've been told it is but it could be because they are the carmine beast <laughs> yeah anyway um yeah so some fun theories uh we also have a discussion question for next time if you want to discuss some stuff you can do that in the discussion thread which we link down in the show notes the specific question we're going to be asking is who is the most or least monstrous other in kennet so let's let's take a look at these others and talk about how monstrous they are yeah this was sort of inspired by that conversation about alpi and you know is she actually is she actually that bad yeah, and I'm just curious to see, you know, I, I guess it's it's almost just pick an other and talk about, like, why they're the why best they're or worst in town. evil or not. Yeah, I mean, I think the Hungry Choir is clearly the most evil. But um, if you have a thought that is contrary to that, leave it in the thread, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, actually, yeah, maybe it's poorly phrased. Don't feel like you have to do the most or least. to Pick an interesting other or an other that you have a hot take on and go yeah. from there. Yeah, give us your hot takes on the Kenneth others. Um, yeah. and for those hot takes they can be left in the discussion thread which we linked in the show notes down below um, you can yep. also in there leave your thoughts on just the show in general um, this episode, how you liked it what you thought of our crazy theories if there are any crazy theories you came up with feel free to leave those in the pale predictor sheet which will also be linked down below yes, uh, you can also come check us out on twitter at mediamdpodcast uh, that's that's where my live reads of the pale chapters happen. Um, I, I'd like to think they're they're fun. Yeah. Um, it's fun interacting with people as I do them. So, uh, you know, come check us out. Yeah. If you want more of the Doof Media Network, you can go to doofmedia.com and check out all the other great shows on the network, including uh, the Book Club uh, has just released their episode on the Diamond Age. Is that correct? Yes. So the, the Book it? Club happened live probably about 12 hours yeah, before right. this came out. Um, but it will be on the Doofcast feed or it's still available on YouTube uh, yep. if you if you want to watch the, the recording of the live session. Yeah, actually, we haven't talked about this, but we've got more and more YouTube content that's coming out. We've we've kind of got our podcasts on YouTube, but we also have things like archives of all the live streams that you, Scott, and I have been doing over the past few weeks on the second channel, which is the Doof Plays YouTube channel. So if you want more Doof content that isn't just audio, head to, um, to YouTube. Actually, it's worth plugging and i probably should have done this earlier um by the time this is out all of all packed up yes. uh, is is on youtube actually all 24 hours so for those of you who followed deep impact and and maybe missed some of our content or if you've just read packed and you want to check out some of our 24 hour live stream uh all 24 hours is 
nicely divided and, Time and tagged stamped, into categorized. Yep. So you can find any work. particular point you want. Uh, personally, I'd recommend. Well, the Walbo interview is yep, great for sure. Um, they're packed. The musical that was going to be my uh, next suggestion. Segment. <laughs> There's fan art ones that I think are great if you want to find the fan art sections. Yes. Uh, if you go to doofmedia.com, there's actually a post there um, which has links to specifically all the tarot readings we did, all the fan art, all the various sections. So that's probably the, the best place to go to like mm. find your way around if you're not familiar with, with what was in all packed up. Yeah. Uh, so just head to doofmedia.com and it'll be in the recent posts. Um, it's called like all packed up index or something. Yeah. Um the, the All Packed Up live stream and a bunch of other content that we do at Doof Media only exists because we're supported by our patrons. So become a patron if you want to help us do more cool things. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Doof Media and support us. Yes, if you donate at the $10 or above tier, you get access to the bonus content that we mm-hmm. make exclusive for those patrons. Yep. Um, Ruben and I might have some of that coming soon. Um, where we'll talk about that if it, if it gets closer. But um, right now, one of the things you get is each month, uh, Matt and his brother Dan are recording what they call the Super Freeman Bros, mm-hmm. um, which is basically just the two of them sitting down and talking about all sorts of uh, interesting topics. So they just did one on like artificial intelligence and you know when it's going to take us over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want some of that, head on over to Patreon and support us at the ten dollar a month or higher level. And while you're on Patreon, why don't you head to Wildbo's Patreon? Because, of course, Patreon... Sorry, Wildbo is also supported by his community. Um, He is a patron-supported author. So if you want to help him write cool stories like this here pale one that we're reading right now, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Wildbo and support him. Yeah, don't don't be one of those people who lets Lucy and Jasmine have no support network. you got (laughs) to get out there and help support Wildbo by donating money to his Patreon. Yeah, exactly. Wildbo wants to cut loose every once in a while, and he can only do that with everyone's (laughs) support. Yep. Um, um, all right. So on that note, we'll well, uh, we'll see you all next week for yep. presumably two more stolen away chapters. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's that's the end. This could be a we do end <laughs> on a cliffhanger. It could be a conclusion of an arc here, and then next arc they go into the paths or whatever. But we'll see. Probably not. I don't know. Who knows? No. I, yeah. I don't know. I hope not. I, I really want to see the paths from the perspective of one of the Kennedys. True. Rather than do it in an interlude. Um, a miss interlude, perhaps. Uh, Minced m- miss interlude. Yeah, that's. A I'll word, come back sure. on that one. Anyway, see you all <laughs> next time. Bye.